Hey, we're really glad you're here. Um, want to uh, before we get started today? Want to thank everyone who showed up on Wednesday this week. Um, I we don't do Wednesday Bible studies really. I, I used to when we first started here, and we get ten or twelve people, and so we 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 kind of raised it up on Wednesdays because we got so much stuff going on in Revelation, so many questions and stuff that I can't cover on Sundays. So I said we'll try it, and we had over forty people here Wednesday. Yeah, and it was uh, it was lively. And um, I got home in time to put my kids to bed, and uh, it, it, was, it was good. So we are, we're going to continue doing it. And what I told everybody on Wednesday was um, you can assume a few things about, about what Wednesday nights are going to be, and one of them is that we will be done. It's start, it'll start at 6 o'clock, and we'll be, I'll be out that door by 7.40 because I have to put my kids to bed. Now, when school starts, if we're going to keep doing this, I might move, that, I might move the whole thing back an hour because I, I've still, that's my top priority, get my kids to bed before, um, before the night goes. So we'll figure that out if we want to keep going. I will not be here this week, so we are not meeting this Wednesday night. Um, I'll be in Atlanta, but we will be meeting the following Wednesday night. And if you weren't here, what we did was we made a list um, of questions that people had that I said I don't know to, and that, it's a big list. <laughs> Um, questions that I didn't feel like I had enough information in my head to, to, uh, to answer or that I should answer off the cuff. So I'll be starting with those questions, and we'll get some answers out, and then we'll dig right back into Revelation. Um, that's a week from this Wednesday. But what I've got today um, is digging us a little further into Revelation. Honestly, I thought this would be a two-week series, but the deeper I get into studying it, it I, I'm not even going to put a number on it. I don't know. I, I think a couple weeks I'll be done, but I'm not going to say that officially, so don't hold me to it. Um, but uh, I'm just kind of covering one chapter at a time because the book of Revelation is, is hard to understand. Um, I think part of that is intentional. Um, I think God wants there to be some mystery in this, but I, I want to make sure that we don't miss the point in the middle of all of it. And so before we get started today, I want to have a, just a word of prayer, a, an opportunity for you to kind of get a deep breath. Some of you need that desperately today um, and get some perspective on your life. I know I need that. Um, so I'm just going to pray. We'll, we'll get a quick, uh, just a moment of silence to pray that God would give us some perspective, and then we'll dive right in today. God, in the midst of the craziness in our life, in the midst of the pain, the financial distress, the relationship problems. We pause to remember who's in charge of all of it. God, if we're not careful, we think we're in charge and we grab a hold of a steering wheel that doesn't really work, doesn't do anything. And if it does anything, it leads us to places that we don't want to end up. So we pray that you would guide us today, that the words that are said, that the, the feelings that are emitted in this place today would be drawn from you. God, you know that uh, I struggle with faith, that it's not something that comes easy to me. I think it makes me a better preacher. Um, but I pray today that you would give me faith that is beyond what's already in my brain and my heart so that I could speak directly from you. That you would give me a word today that's not just something I could think of, but that's something straight from you. We pray that you would lead us through this book that is so hard to understand, that you would draw out the things that are important and let the things go that aren't or that are only important later. 
And we pray that you would give us a, a sense of peace today that we all need in your son's name. Amen. So when I was uh, in Bible college, I was told, and I don't know if I believe this or not, a lot of the things I learned in Bible college I've kind of shaken, you know, um, and I'm not sure if, these, if this is one of those things, I'm not sure exactly how I feel about it, but one of the things I was told, I can't get the picture out of my head, that as a preacher, that I have this, this responsibility to what my, my preaching professor called to, to feed the audience, to, you know, to, to take the Word of God, which is thought of to be the, kind of the food for our life, and to feed you. Now, I, I don't like that scenario because my feeling is you should be feeding yourself. Um, and I'm just here to kind of get you inspired to feed yourself, maybe give you some groceries so that you can do it during the week, but that you don't necessarily need me to, to feed you. Although, when it comes to the book of Revelation, um, I think there is a sense that when we, when we read it and we, we just pull it open and we just read this thing that we get a little scared, a little weirded out, and it can shake our faith a little bit because it just feels strange and weird. And so what I've done over the past few weeks is I've kind of reassumed that feeling of, of kind of feeding the church again a little bit. And it, it's strange because I've got to feed myself first. And, and really, truthfully, there's nothing different about me than you. I, I get paid by the church. I really do. I don't get paid a lot, but it's plenty, and I am honored to have it, to, to spend a lot of time in my week to prepare these sermons. And I, while I do that, you need to know I work really hard to, to read other people's ideas. I read a lot of the Bible. I read a lot of things. I pray a whole lot, and I put together this sermon. And so what I've been doing is kind of compiling all those. And Wednesday, I brought, I don't know how many pages. Susie probably knows exactly. She made copies for everybody. But I brought all, all of my notes from chapter 5, 6, and 7. And it, I had an 8-foot table out here, and it filled the table. Um, and when I was gone, or when I was leaving, Everybody said, can, I, can we have those notes? And, and gladly, because, I mean, they're, they're kind of your notes, you know. <laughs> this is, it's the product of us all um, learning together. But uh, truthfully, sometimes it's easy to do the feeding. Sometimes it's easy to kind of feed each other and to, to kind of help each other through this. And sometimes it's a mess. And, I, you know, with, with Reese, when he was growing up, especially, London was always pretty clean the way she ate. But Reese was just a mess, and I remember feeding him, and I am so glad those days are pretty much over. He's five, and I almost don't have to feed him now, um, but when he was little, I would feed him, and I, Risha did, really didn't want me to very often, because he would, like, need a shower when we were done, because you couldn't get his mouth, you know? He, there he is. That's Reese after a daddy feeding, right there. He had a blast. He had a lot of fun, but we both needed a shower or a car wash by the, time, by the time the thing was over. This picture is how I feel about feeding the book of Revelation, okay? I'm going to hit your face. I'm going to hit your mouth. I'm going to hit your ear. I'm going to get it all over me. I got so much material. I have so much stuff. You're going to walk out with a lot of information, and what we've said about information is that it can be dangerous. If you don't act on it, if it doesn't give you something to do to change your life, it just makes you big, fat, puffy and arrogant. And so we don't want that, okay? We, we want information that leads us to change. And so I, I just want to acknowledge today that there's a lot of information here and that you're, you can walk away feeling like Reese, just stuff all over. And what I want to do is, is give you an opportunity to, to dive in and to dig in yourself to some of these things. You're going to hear me, and I've, I've made this caveat in every Revelation sermon I've preached so far this year, and that is that, that there are opinions that I am talking about in a lot of cases, and I will say that, that this is my opinion. And you've heard me. If you're here Wednesday night, you're probably tired of hearing me say that, that this is my opinion. Um, and so you need to dig in and find some of these things out for yourself, and then show up on Wednesday with us, because we really dig deep then, and we can answer some questions. 
Feel free to shoot me Facebook messages and emails during this, and it gives me time to kind of think about it, research it, and get back to you. I've been doing that a lot too. But what I want to do today is take us through um, a, a part of Revelation where I believe God gives us a deep breath. We talk about that word deep breath a lot. In fact, we prayed for it back here in, it, uh, before the band came out today that God would give us a deep breath today. And it's just a, an illustration that I've used to say, God, we are in the midst of all this craziness and turmoil. We just need some perspective and to just kind of take a deep breath. And so God does that in the book of Revelation. Now, if, you've been, if you're visiting with us or you, you have, you're not familiar with the book of Revelation, I'm going to catch you up real quick. Okay, basically... A man named John is in prison. Um, he's a man that God has, has give, given the gift of being around when Jesus was on earth. He got incredible life change from being where Jesus was and getting to follow him. Then we get to see John do some incredible ministry, things that have, have never been done by a human um, to the extent that John did them from, from a term, in terms of just his perspective and his perseverance. The guy just was up for anything, and it was an amazing thing. At the end of his life, he ends up in jail, and he's writing a whole bunch of things that we believe as Christians, if you're here and, and you're not a Christian, this is a great time for you to kind of get an idea of what we're actually doing and what we believe. What we believe as Christians that when John wrote the book of Revelation, he also wrote First uh, John, Second John, Third John, and the Gospel of John, that's up for debate. That's, my opinion is that he did, in fact, write all of those. Now, here's an interesting thing that, that I feel like is true, that John wrote the book of Revelation, but it wasn't the last book he wrote. Even though it's the last book in the Bible, I believe he wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John after he wrote the book of Revelation. That's neither here nor there, but it is interesting that we put it in the, this order because Revelation is sort of the end of the story. It felt like it fit at the end of the Bible, and that's why they did that. But John wrote these things, and what we believe as Christians is while John was writing these things from prison, he was inspired by God. And that's hard to believe at times. Some of us are still kind of kicking the tires on parts of that, trying to decide what we believe about that. But the truth is, what, globally, what the Christian church believes is that God inspired John. This is a normal dude. He's, he lives a different kind of life. But God basically said, you write it, and I'll bless it. Now, that's not unlike what I pray happens on Sunday mornings. I pray that during the week I write this sermon, I put all this stuff together, and it, while I'm writing it and put it together, God kind of leads the right things, and then I get here on Sunday, and God says what needs to be said. I, I honestly don't have a hard time believing that John was inspired by God, because there are Sundays where I walk up here with an absolute mess, and I listen back to my sermon every now and then, and I go, I don't know where that came from. That absolutely came from God. Or I'll come up after a service, somebody will come to me and say, you spoke right to me today. And I went, no, I didn't. I didn't know what's going on with you. I didn't even know you were going to be here. God spoke to you today. And so uh, even though I struggle with faith, that one's not hard for me to believe because I live it. Almost every Sunday I feel that way. But John's inspiration comes from a relationship with God, uh, an overflow of his relationship with God. And as he does, he sees this vision, and it's not a dream. It's not really just something he sees on the wall. He's actually in this space for the book of Revelation. And it is crazy, and it is hard, and it is a picture of the end of the world. And in chapter 5, what we saw was him paint a picture of what it's like where God is. Now, I believe that this picture is accurate today, that wherever God is, and I, we, it's so funny, Reese and I in London were talking this week, got into a conversation about this. It's amazing when you're reading this stuff, and you're praying through this stuff, and you're digging through this stuff, how when your kids bring it up, you, re you recognize it. I know my kids have brought up 
the end times. I know they've brought up God and Jesus and the sky and the heaven and where everything is before, and I've probably passed over it. But because I'm studying and I'm thinking about it, I hit it. And Reese said the other day, um, he was mentioned in the clouds. And London said, Reese, she loves to teach him. She said, Reese, those clouds, um, I know they look like they're thick and you could sit on them, but they, you just go right through them. There's nothing there. And Jesus, go, er, Jesus, Reese says, well, how does Jesus stay up there then? <laughs> and London said, well, she kind of looked at him. She goes, well, maybe the angels keep him up there <laughs> with their wings, you know. And, and it, got, it got them thinking. And, and maybe you have this question too. We talked about this on Wednesday night a little bit. Where is God physically? Where is God right now? God, he's everywhere, but that's one of those church answers, isn't it? Everywhere. Okay. Well, that doesn't help me much, right? I mean, I, it feels like it does, but I want to know where is the scene? And the, here's the truth. I don't know. I, don't, I really don't know. But I do know this. We know some things specifically about where God is. And there is a physically, and you're right, he is everywhere. He says he is everywhere and that he is with us right now. He's in this space. Somehow, physically, he is in this space. But there is a presence. Remember, there are three parts of God. God the Father, who created everything, who is the the Godhead. God the Son, who is Jesus, who was here on the earth 2,000 years ago. And God the Holy Spirit, who, who... was left here on earth with with us um, to help us through life, to give us the peace and the hope and the joy that we need when we follow God. And that Holy Spirit is very hard to touch. It's hard to grab. You're not going to physically see it very often. There are people that do. I never have. Um, I've never had that kind of an experience. But truthfully, that's the part of God that we say is is all around us and is where we are. But there is a Godhead. There is, is God the Father who is sitting on a throne somewhere. And with Reese, as, as young as he is, he's already going, where is Jesus? Where is God? Is he hanging in the clouds like angels? Now, that's a question I want to talk through next Wednesday night. I'm giving you a little teaser. We're going to actually talk through some of those issues and, and talk through some of that. So if you're interested in that, please be here. But the truth is, what we do have is a quick picture from, the, from John himself of, uh, uh, that God revealed to him of where God is. And we, it doesn't tell us what God looks like, which is too bad because I got all my own pictures, you know. Um, but he does say that God is sitting on, a, and it, it, we translate it throne, but it's almost like a stage, that God is sitting on a stage. Around him are these angelic beings, and this is where things get really weird for us. There's these angelic beings that have six wings. They have eyes all over them, which is just kind of cool. You know, it's kind of interesting. And for us, we go, man, that is just weird that there are angels looking like that. But the truth is they're looking at us going, you guys are weird. You only got two eyes? (laughs) This is the way reality really is. Earth isn't real. This isn't the real world. We're just here temporarily. That's the real world. And there's these big angels that are around God, and there's 24 elders that we talked about um, that are around God. And in front of him, this is one of the coolest things, in front of him sits a crystal sea. And the idea of the crystal sea is, in other places in the Bible too, it says that God is stamping out our sins. If you're here and you're like a a lot of people, you've grown up thinking that God's job is to surface your sins. To look through your life and pick out all the bad things and then hit you over the head with something every time you do something bad. That's the picture that a lot of us have been given of God. But it's not the picture of God in the Bible. The picture of God in the Bible is actually looking at your life, pulling out the junk in your life, trampling them, 
all the sins, all the messed up stuff in your life, and throwing them in the sea that sits in front of him. And they call it a, it's called a crystal sea because the idea is that your sins end up in this sea and there's not even a ripple left when, they're, when they end up in the sea. It's a beautiful picture. And this is where God is. And this is the picture that John gets of it. And as, as, as the story of Revelation unfolds, it's important that chapter 5 sets up the scene. This is where God is and this is where this is all taking place. He looks and then he says, and then God in chapter 6 God reaches his big right hand down, so he has a hand. He reaches his big right hand down, and he has a scroll in his hand, which to us seems very biblical, very symbolic, and it is symbolic. But to to John, the person who was seeing this, this would have been something very normal, like a sheet of paper to us. We see paper all all over the place all the time. This would just look like a sheet of paper. Until John looked a little closer, and he noticed that there are six seals. Now, not the kind of seal. We're talking about the the wax, a wax kind of a seal on on the the scroll. Because what they would do at this time in history is that they would wrap up this scroll, and they would whoever wrote the 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 scroll would then seal it, hand it to a, a messenger who would deliver it to somebody. And when that person received the scroll, they would be able to see the seal and know nobody's read it. So this is just for me, and they would open it. Normally, the scroll would have one seal on it. This scroll has seven seals all the way across it. And that's weird to John. Why does this thing have seven seals on it? And what is so important on this scroll that it needs seven seals? Now, we did some studying. We talked a lot about this. We realized that what that scroll is, is it's, it is history. It's showing us what the end of the world looks like. It's what, what the angels, what God himself, what Jesus has all been working towards. It's what you've been working towards, even if you're working away from God right now and you're running the other direction. You're still going this direction too, even though you think you're not. This is where we're all headed. And everybody wants to know it, and it's so important that God looks down and he says, who is worthy of breaking the seals? Who can read this thing? Who is it that can lead us to the way things are supposed to be and to the end of the world? And John says, this is really weird language for us, and it's weird to think about, but there's, there's a whole lot of symbolism here, and John says that no one in heaven and earth answered. So it's silent for him. And if you picture yourself as John, I know this is hard to do, but if you picture yourself as John, he gets this feeling and and he he hears God say, who is worthy of opening this? And nobody answers. And then the Bible says that the writer, John, that he weeps and it's not like a tear falls down his cheek. It's like throw up, sick kind of a weeping. He cries because no one can answer. And we said, you know, that's kind of a weird thing for a grown man to cry over a piece of paper. But the truth is, you know how he feels. I know you do, and I saw it in your face today. You want the end of this, don't you? Don't you want the end of pain? Don't you want the end of suffering? Don't you want the end of this feeling that nothing is quite right? Don't you want the end of relationship problems? Don't you want the end of financial issues? Don't you want things to be the way they're supposed to be? That's why John cries until he throws up. Because here it is. This is it. Who can open it? Who can lead us there? Nobody is worthy. And then, dun-dun-dun-dun, dun-dun-dun. I don't know why I just sang Indiana Jones theme song for Jesus. <laughs> That's not in the book of Revelation. Jesus comes in and says, I'm worthy. The Lamb is worthy to open the scroll. Jesus is the key to the entire end of the story. And as these seals pop open, 
Chapter 6, you'll see in Revelation. If you've never heard this stuff before, chapter 6 of Revelation, go there and read it. It is crazy. This is where we get the four horsemen of the apocalypse. As these seals open up, the first four are four different colored horses that when they come into the earth, they bring terrible destruction on the earth. It's the end of time. And what we said was, we will all know it. At that point, everyone who lives on the earth, there won't be any doubt at that point that this is the end. It won't be, huh, I wonder if this is it. The Bible calls it birth pains. The Bible calls the, the, the revelation story a childbirth. And as these little things which are surfacing now are surfacing in our lives, they're like birth pains. They're like, just like little contractions. And if you've been pregnant or you are pregnant, this hits you right at home. You might go, oh, I felt a contraction. I wonder if this is it. Guys, a contraction is when the baby is, is starting to come, okay? Yeah. I can't believe a few weeks ago I said, has anybody ever had a baby and like six guys raised their hand? Like, no, I don't mean watched your wife have a baby. No, these birth pains, they get a little bit worse and they get a little bit worse and we go, huh, is this it? Is this it? And then all of the sudden, it gets really bad, the pain, and you just know this is it. And the husband says to the wife, are you sure this is it? She grabs his bottom lip, pulls it over his head, and goes, this is it. <laughs> okay? And, and that's what the Bible talks about the end of the times. Right now we're going, is this it? I got emails and Facebook messages from some of you this week going, here's some things in the news. Here's some ideas. Are we in the end times? And I'm going, you know, I don't know. I see some contractions. I see some birth pains. But I don't know. When it's it, when the seals start coming off of the scroll, the end of the time, it will be time and we will all know it and people will start flocking to Jesus and people will start dying and it will get ugly. Aren't you glad you came to church today? As these seals pop up, you'll have to go listen to my sermon if you want to hear all of them, but as they pop up, you can go back one, Tanya, I'm not even there yet, I'm sorry, I'm just trying to set the stage and I'm, i got to get going. But I want to make sure you understand that each of these seals is t- towards the end of the world. And we've got, as, they, as the seals pop up, they get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And we've popped six seals now. And there's one seal left. And, the, and John looks at this piece of paper and there's anticipation and there's ex- exhaustion in him. And he wants, to, he wants it to be over. He wants the, the, the scroll to be opened and for this thing to be completed. But at the same time... If the, the six before it had been this bad, how bad will the seventh be for earth? And there's this anticipation, and God goes, all right, you need a break. <laughs> so chapters 5 and 6 get us there. and chapter 7, we get a break. Chapter 8, which we're going to cover next week, the, seal, the seventh seal is broken, and this thing really hits home. The baby's being born. The water has broken. It is bad. It is gross, and it's also amazing and wonderful all at the same time. And at, just before we get to that seventh seal, God gives us a deep breath. And, and you know what? I, I've seen that in your life, too. In fact, you've heard me use that phrase. If you've come back to that corner after church, things are going really hard in your life. You've actually probably heard me use that phrase. God, we, I pray for a deep breath for her today. Or, I get, God, would you give him a deep breath today? Because it, what it is, it's in the midst of a, of a storm. It's just this perspective, this peace. And so God looks at John and he says, I want to give you a perspective of how this thing ends. And this is where it can get really confusing. If you're just reading through the book of Revelation, you go, wait a minute, what happened to the seventh seal? There's just six and then, then it looks like it's over. This is not, that's not really the way this was written. The way John would have seen this was that six seals and then God goes, all right, you need to get a glimpse of the end so that you can make it through the seventh seal. Okay, So that's what this is. And here it is. 
Oh, first, first John chapter 2, verse 1. Check this out. I, I want you to catch this. This is the same author, probably written after the book of Revelation, says this. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. Now, make no mistake. Faithfulness and righteousness matters. And how you live your life matters. When it comes to the end of the world and the seals start breaking off the end of the world, the way you live your life right now matters deeply. Some of you right now are getting so accustomed to the sin in your life that you've almost become desensitized to it. You, you, You just do it and it's part of your life. On that day when you're sure that this is the end, it will destroy you emotionally. It will cause so much pain in you emotionally that you will start to see the glory of God. Even if you don't see it today, it will change who you are. Be right. Faithfulness, righteousness matters. John says this, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. I want you to remember that line. Also for the sins of the whole world. That's everybody in the world. The original language there means all-encompassing. Every breath, every life that's on earth. I want you to remember that because we're going to jump into chapter 7 and I want you to hear this. Chapter 7, verse 1 says this, After these things, so here's his deep breath, After these things I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. We talked about this on Wednesday. The angels of God, we talk about um, angels a little bit differently than I think the Bible does in our culture. We talk about guardian angels, which we're not going to get into that right now. If you want to talk about that, come on Wednesday, we'll talk about it. But the Bible, we talk about guardian angels, we paint pictures of beautiful angels with wings, and we like to make angelic beings beautiful. They're beautiful to God, and they'll be beautiful to us one day, but most of the angels pictured in the Bible have lots of eyes, lots of wings, and they ain't pretty. They're not going to win a beauty contest on earth, I can tell you that. They're big, they're strong, they're scary, and guess what? I believe, this is my opinion, John's opinion based on what I read, they're not crazy about humans. In fact, throughout history, they've been pretty frustrated with humans. Because the one thing that is most important to all the angelic beings in heaven is God and Jesus Christ, who is the the darling of heaven. He is the one that, that, that everyone points to. He is the hero. He's the number one celebrity. He's the one that everyone in heaven surrounds their entire living being on. And when he came to earth, they went, why are you going down there to those messed up people who don't want to live the way God wants them to live? And not only did Jesus come, and not only did they watch and go, why is he going down to earth with those messed up people? Those messed up people beat him and spit on him, nailed him to a cross and killed him. And all the time, there are a faction of angels a segment of angels, and we won't know until we get to heaven how all this works, but a bunch of them are going, let me at them. Let me at them. Remember what Jesus said one time? At any time, I could release the angels to come down and destroy you. At any time, I have authority to do that. I have a picture of the angels not being sitting on a cloud playing a harp and hoping good things happen to you. I have a picture of the angels wanting revenge for the way that we've lived our lives. 
for the way that we've rejected Jesus, for the way that the people who lived during Jesus' time rejected him and spit on him and killed him, and the way you and I reject him now when he says, I stand at the door and knock, and, we, and, and, and if you just open the door, we'll enter. The angels are going, why aren't you opening the door for the master of the universe? They're tired of it, and they're, they're saying, oh, just let me at him. Just let me at him. Let me at him. And at this point in history, they're in a frenzy. They're ready to come and do what God has commissioned them to do, and that is to destroy the things that aren't holy for the purpose of redemption. We talked about this last Wednesday, too, at our, our teaching time together. I have a son, and many of you have kids like this, too, who, who only make good choices as their punishments get worse. You know what I'm saying? A five-minute timeout for Reese? <laughs> Are you kidding me? That's nothing. He will sit in timeout for five minutes and go right back to what he was doing before he got up. Now, London, you give her a five-minute timeout, she'll be crying about it for three weeks and still talking about it on the fourth. Dad, I'm so sorry. I can't believe I did it. I mean, it just, it, all it takes is a word for London. But for Reese, I love it when he gets a birthday present that he really loves because I think of it as leverage. <laughs> I'm going to take your Star Wars lightsaber if you can't make a good choice. And if the lightsaber doesn't work, the things just get worse and worse and worse. Why? Because I hate my son and I want revenge on him? Why? Because I, I hate what he's doing and I just want to, he just makes me so mad I want to show him who's in charge. Is that why I do that? Not if I'm a good dad. You know why I do it? Because I want redemption. I want him moving in the right direction. The story of Revelation is not first and foremost about revenge. In fact, it's not a whole lot about revenge at all when it comes to God. What it's most about is redemption. God's going, you guys have had a chance after chance after chance to come to, to Jesus, and the, the punishments are just going to get worse and worse and worse until you realize it. Some of you may never realize it, and the punishment will be eternal. But hopefully, the worst time on earth, and of course, according to the Bible, it's absolutely true that the worst time on earth will also be the biggest revival in the history of earth. Because people finally, those whose hearts have been so dark, will finally come to grips with their sin and come to Jesus during this time. And when, before that happens, the angels, this is the picture, the angels are sitting ready to destroy what's on the earth. They, they want to kill everything. They don't care. You think you're good. You think you've been going to church. You think you've been making right choices. They want your blood over the way that, that you've treated Jesus and the way that I've treated Jesus. After these things, he says, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. I've seen a picture painted of this that I think is just hilarious. It's four beautiful angels like this in some sort of a yoga pose playing a harp next to... I, do you, did you not read what's happening? These are mean huge, ripped. If I could draw it all, I would draw a, paint, a painting in rebuttal. These angels are ready to destroy the earth. They're at the four corners of the earth. There's a bunch of angels, and the angels at the four corners of the earth are going, not yet, not yet, not yet. The four corners of the earth, by the way, the Bible doesn't think the world is, is square. The idea is north, south, east, and west. They're at all four corners of the earth, and they're, they're holding back all the angels. The angels are going, let me at them. They're foaming at the mouth coming to heaven. It's scary, isn't it? It should be, because look what's about to happen. At the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or in any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried out with a loud voice. Now this is one that's an advocate for us, and I don't know if it's because God told him to be, 
or if he's chosen to be. But check this out. This angel says this. Nobody destroy yet. Hold those angels back for a minute. And check this out. He cried out with a, living, with, with a loud voice to all the angels, the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea. You see that? Who it was granted. Now, now if these angels didn't want to harm the earth, it would have said who God told to harm. They're going to do it because they're told to. No, no, no. God basically goes, all right, guys, go. And they're ready. See, that's where I get this. Some of you are looking at me like, that's not my angel. Then I, and he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and sea, saying, do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Now this is cool, isn't it? I mean, if you like action movies, you've got to be loving this thing. Can you imagine, though, take this in a minute out of the Bruce Willis scene and out of, you know, out of the Hollywood for a minute, and what if this really happened today? I know some of you have a hard time believing this. Suspend, if you're having a hard time, just suspend it for a second. Imagine that right now in the middle of my sermon, which it could be, that'd be cool while I was preaching Revelation, wouldn't it? It'd be really cool. If all of a sudden the roof came off of this building, I don't know what would happen. The roof comes off the building. I'm going to wet myself. I'm going to... I mean, I know a preacher should stand up and go, here comes Jesus, but I don't know. I'm going to be scared. I have a feeling. The roof comes off the building, and all of a sudden, we get this feeling that it's over. This is it. All of us fall on our faces. Even if you were drugged here by your wife today and you don't believe any of this stuff, you're going to know then and you're going to fall on your face. And when you do... There is this voice from heaven that goes, not yet. You go, thank God, maybe they're going to pause. Maybe, maybe I can get away. Where can I run? And you get, you're going to get a feeling, I, don't, I, don't, I can't run anywhere. There's nowhere to go, but, but there's, there's, a, there's hope. Why are they pausing? And then, this is so cool. And you've got to come on Wednesdays because we really dug into it last Wednesday, didn't we? Went all the way back to the Old Testament where this happened again. There is an angel who has a kit. This is really cool. Like, a, I don't know, a tattoo kit? I don't know what it is. He rides on a horse with a, with a kit, okay? And he goes around and he puts a symbol on the heads of those who have been faithful to God and those who have been saved by God. In this case, those who have given their lives to Jesus and who have trusted Jesus, the advocate, with their lives. They get this seal on their head. And what we read this week is, uh, we, we kind of took the roundabout way to, to prove and show you and unveil it, but basically it's, it's sort of like a sideways cross, if I, if I read. Now, that's my opinion. Nobody knows exactly what this is going to be. I also believe that this cross won't be visible by you and me, but it'll be visible to all the spiritual beings. So it will make no mistake, no spiritual being, no angel, no demon during all of this time will have any doubt who belongs to Jesus and who doesn't. Now, the Bible is clear, and we'll see that in the coming weeks, that everybody at this time will have two marks. There'll be two marks, and everybody will have a mark. You'll either have the mark of the Creator or a mark of the beast. And let me just tell you, you may not read it yet, but you don't want the mark of the beast. Especially when the four angels who are holding back the army of angels say, now you can go. But until then, they're going to mark some foreheads. 
And this is not the only place we read this in the Bible. Next slide. Check this out. There is a sense, and you heard, I, I sent an email to Rick last night, Rick Alexander, and said, hey, would you sing Signed, Sealed, and Delivered today? I love the way he does that anyway, you know. Signed, sealed, delivered, I'm yours. Here's the thing. We are going to be signed, sealed, and delivered to who we were intended to be in the way life was supposed to be. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Paul, a different author, says this, And you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Him. Somebody read that with a... A seal! You were marked. He already knows. This is a different guy. This is a guy who haven't gotten that picture. This is part of why I believe the Bible is the inspired Word of God. These, I don't believe Paul even knew what he meant when he said that. I'm not sure he even knew what he meant when he said seal. But, and it fits with exactly with the end of times. He said, you will be marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. Until the redemption of those who are God's possession. I think this piece of scripture could be pointing to the exact time in Revelation that we're studying right now. That those who are saved by the blood of Jesus, those who have accepted him and said, I am saved by you, not by what I do, not by my own works, not by how many times I show up to church, but by the grace of Jesus Christ, and I accept that, are marked. Look at this, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9 says this, Nevertheless, it's one of my favorite words in all of the Bible. It usually follows something like, you guys are awful, you're evil, you make terrible choices. Nevertheless, I want a shirt that says, nevertheless, and that's all it says on it. God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his. Right in this space today, the Lord knows who are his. You have a seal today. Now that seal that comes in Revelation will be different. It'll be maybe, maybe you know, if, if it's in pencil right now, they'll go over it with a sharpie. I don't know how it was going to work, and I don't know what the difference is, but I know that right now God says, God knows who are his. Everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Now, I love the piece of scripture in 2 Timothy. This is a whole other Bible study. And if this was Wednesday night, I'd dig into it real deep, but it's not. Here's the thing. Timothy says real quick, he says you must turn away from wickedness. In the Greek, if he meant that you should turn away from wickedness, if he meant that you need to stop sinning because it's not a good idea to sin and you shouldn't do that because it hurts God's feelings, if that's what he meant, and that's how we preach sometimes, sin hurts God's feelings. You shouldn't do it. That's how we preach. It's, that's not the picture of sin in the Bible. The picture of sin in the Bible is that it's the opposite of God. The sin is not just a bad idea. It's not just something that leads you down bad paths. It's the opposite of God. It cannot be in the presence of God. And so what Timothy says here is that you, he doesn't say you shouldn't sin. He says, look at this, the name of the Lord must turn away. Everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away. If you really have Jesus in you, you have to be walking away from sin. It's not just because it's a good idea. It's not because it hurts God's feelings. It's because it's the opposite of God. And if it's really in you, 
If God, if faith, if the truth, if the hope, if the peace of the real creator is really in you, it's not that you will try to not sin. It's that you must walk away. That you will walk away. It will start to leave you. And if it's not, you're missing something. If you're here today and you're trapped by the bondage of sin, please stop today. Find somebody in this place. Get over the hurdles of embarrassment. Get over the hurdles in your life. And don't miss out because it is keeping you stuck where you are. And God wants you to be ready for this time. i got to keep going. Next slide. Revelation chapter 6, 12 says this. Now, we're taking back a step because I want you to read this. Remember, every symbol, everything God says is meaningful in the book of Revelation. We said that. It's one of our assumptions. It doesn't mean we're going to understand it all right now, but we try. Revelation chapter 6, verse 12. I looked, and this is when things are getting crazy with the seals. When he opened the sixth seal, things are already been crazy, And behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to earth as a fig tree drops its lake figs when it was shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it's rolled up, and every mountain and island moved out of its place. Yeah, it's time. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man, hid themselves in caves and rocks and, and, uh, of mountains and said the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. You want to know how I know that everybody will know when it comes time? Even the richest, even the celebrities, even the people that you, can't, you don't think are touchable right now will be going, God save me. Rocks fall on me, please, somebody hide me, because that's God, and I don't want him to see the way I've lived my life. For the great day of wrath has come, and please pay attention to that last line, the great day of wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Not the richest, not the biggest, not the most celebrity, not the most celebrated, not the most, the smartest. Not the most innovative, not the most religious, not the best preacher, not the best Sunday school teacher, not the best mom, not the best dad, not the best boss. No one can stand under the wrath of God. All right, have a great week. (laughs) Scary, isn't it? Foreboding, isn't it? Okay, i got to get on. I can't let that sit too long because you've got to read next. This is why I read that. Okay, so now we get to this big, deep break because God looks at John and, and John's going, no one can stand? No one can stand? No one can stand under the wrath of God. All these seals are broken. Now, God, you've got, you, you, you got crosses on foreheads and you've got seals, but no one can stand? What is this? Check this out. So he gives... He first gives John this picture of being sealed, and the second picture he gives John in this break is this. After these things, I looked, and behold, a great multitude. Great multitude, which no one could number. Now, at the beginning in that first section, one of the things I didn't mention, we talked about it last Wednesday night, is that there is a number, 144,000, and there is a group of religious people in our society who use that number to say that that is the number of people that are basically going to be saved, okay? 144,000 out of all the people who have ever lived, out of the billions of people who have lived and died, only 144,000 people will be saved. I've been preaching the story for 37 weeks now, and that would be a really bad ending to this story. I don't believe it's true. And one of the reasons I don't believe it's true is this. Because at the end, 
After these things, I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number. If the great multitude was 144,000, somebody could number that. No one could number of white people who live in America in the 20th century. Nope. It's not white people. It's not English-speaking people. It's not people who look and act like you. It's people of all tribes, peoples, tongues. Look at the next word. Remember the last word of the foreboding sentence? No one can stand. People of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. See, the picture at the end is that no one can stand. No one can stand before God, not one of you in this building, not one of me. Nobody can stand in front of God because just as, as we read in Timothy, that sin and God don't mix. It's oil and water. They can't be in the same place at the same time. And your life is full of sin. You're a mess. You're a hot mess. And when you're in front of God, no, even the best of us in this space, when we're in front of God, we cannot stand. But the Lamb of God, Jesus, who is our advocate, and for those who have accepted Him, Whispers in God's ear, that one's mine. And the sin is gone in front of God. I know what an advocate looks like because I have kids and they have a grandmother. (laughs) And my mom, when Reese gets in trouble, say, Reese, you are treading on thin ice. We've been dealing with this all day. It's late. I'm tired. You need to stop it right now. And it'll get real quiet, and he'll kind of look up at me, trying to decide what he's going to do, and my mom will go like this. Well, he's tired. (laughs) And if he does something else, she'll look over me, and she'll get a little closer to me, and she'll whisper in my ear, you know what he said today about you? He said his daddy is the best daddy ever. My mom's an advocate for my son against the wrath of his father. Now, that doesn't completely paint the picture, but I want to give you a chance today to see Jesus, not as a little baby, because he started that way, but that's not the way he ended up. Not as a carpenter, because he did a little of that, but it got better. Not as a man whose arms were stretched out on the cross. We celebrate that, and we're terrorized by that. But that's not who he is. What defines him is what he's doing today on your behalf. If you're a baptized believer in Jesus Christ, you've given him your life, and your life is about him, and you have have said, I trust you in my death. I trust you for my relationship with God and what comes next in my life. He is whispering to the Father, that one's mine. That one's covered. When God looks at Jesus, then he doesn't see the sin. Now, to end this story really well. All the angels stood around the throne. These are the angels that are going, let me at them. These people are ridiculous. They've killed Jesus. They've killed our, our king. They've, they've destroyed him on earth and he couldn't kill him for eternity, thank goodness, but they spat on him and they made fun of him. A lot of them now still use his name in vain in movies and people laugh at it. 
A lot of them put it on their doors and in their houses around Christmas and pretend that they serve Him. And then live their lives however they want to. And the angels go, let me at them, let me at them, let me at them. Until the end. Look what the Bible says. This great multitude of people from everywhere. Great multitude. Saved. And all the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped the God going, Amen. God is salvation. He understands it. He had a plan all along to bring these people back to Him. And now we get it. Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to, to our God forever and ever. Amen. Okay, band, you guys can come up. I want to finish this, but I'm running late. All right, last slide here. I want, you, I want to slide back with you here. Oh, I'm sorry. That's not the end of that. They shall never, they shall neither hunger nor thirst anymore. The, sh- the sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to the living fountains of water. And God will wipe away Every tear from their eyes. I love verse 17. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will become the shepherd. The Lamb becomes the shepherd. It turns everything upside down. Doesn't that sound nice? I want to read something to you. In light of all that, I'm almost done. If you've ever read the book of Matthew, you know that Jesus came to earth and he, in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, he preaches to a bunch of people. And sometimes it's hard to understand. But in light of what we've talked about today, I want to read Matthew chapter 5. It's tiny little writing. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. I'll read it to you. You can just listen. I want to, many of you have heard this. You've wondered what it's about. Now I want to read this to you. In light of, at the end, everything being turned upside down. The entire world is turned upside down. What you think is important now becomes the opposite. The, the, the poorest, the hurting, they become the richest in heaven. Those who have been so far from God but have trusted Jesus now get to, to worship with Him. Or worship Him at the throne. Jesus says, seeing the multitudes, He went up on the hill. This is Matthew chapter 5. He went up on the mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him, and then he opened his mouth, and they taught him. And he said this, Blessed are the poor, the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now that word blessed means blessed, but it it also means God is on your side. God is on the side of the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. God is on the side of those who mourn, Anybody mourning today? For they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, those who have a lot of power, but use it only for the good of other people. For they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, so they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those, who, those of you who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Jesus looks down at a bunch of broken, hurting people and says, someday everything will be turned upside down. Someday, you'll see that everything's upside down.
and God is on his throne. Blessed are you who are broken. Blessed are you who mourn. I don't give you the chance today to be sealed. Signed, sealed, delivered. Right here in this space. I can't think of any better way to leave this space today than to be sure that you are saved not by what you do, but by who's whispering to the Father, that one belongs to me. I'm going to go back to that corner. If you want to do that today, I'd love to help you through that. If you've got something going on in your life you just want to pray through, I'd love to pray with you today. Would you stand with us together and sing straight to God this morning and give him your life?